Genesis chapter 7, verse 18. I'm going to be hitting some of the highlights here. I'm not going to read every verse, but I'm going to start with Genesis 7, verse 18, and then I'm going to jump to Genesis chapter 8, verse, uh, we'll go to verse 1. If you have it, say amen. amen. It's like at the very beginning of your Bible, if, if you don't know where it's at, it's like right there at the beginning. Genesis chapter 7, listen to what is taking place. Now you understand in biblical studies, when an author wants to stress something in an ancient way, he's going to repeat it multiple times over. And listen to what is repeated here. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. Well, that's not good. Verse 19, and the waters prevailed exceedingly. Well, that sounds worse. Verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward. Oh, it's getting deep. Verse 24, the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So it's not only prevailing, but it's lasting. And this is the condition that the world is in, and this is a frustrating reality. But then some hope emerges in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and when it did, the waters subsided. The thing that was prevailing is now diminishing at the moving of some wind. Verse 6, we're going to dive into this a little bit more, no pun intended. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which was going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. The dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. Verse 10, and he waited. That word right there in Hebrew is achal. It means to hope. There is a man sitting inside of an ark given to him by God. That man's name is not just a mere name. It's the Hebrew word rest. Noah is Hebrew for rest. And you'll see that while the water's winning, rest was hoping. There's a powerful revelation here if you'll grasp it. And he hoped yet another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So, he says again, he waited yet another seven days. Rest is going to keep on hoping. And so I want to minister to us tonight what happens when rest hopes. Would you lift up your hands right now? I believe God is going to solidify some things. God is going to reveal some things. God is going to do some things tonight. Would you put your faith in that tonight? Not in the preaching, but in the word that's going to be preached. Put your faith there. Father, in your name. I believe everything that's in this great book that you have given us, for your word declares to us that you are this book. So when I preach this book, I'm preaching you. And God, every word that comes out of my mouth will be your word, God, because it's coming from the word. And so therefore, when I speak the word, you'll be in the room. And I believe that when you come into the room, everything that you are comes with you. God, you're not a performer, you just are. So when I preach your word, which is you, you'll come into this room and you'll be the peace that we need. You'll be the comfort that we need, but more than any of that, you'll be the salvation that we need. God, I pray in your precious name that everything your word has power to do, that it would do here tonight, God. 
God, I want to get out of the way, and I want to speak only what thus saith the word of God. God, I'm not here to push buttons. I'm not here to incite responses. I'm here to minister you. So, God, you move through this room, and you touch the lives of everyone who is going to allow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Would you say amen? Amen, amen. If you clap your hands, you may be seated. There's a lot that's going on in Genesis, but before we get to chapter 7 and chapter 8, let me set the background to which chapter 7 and 8 is in the midst of. There is in the world, you'll find at this point, that Adam and Eve, as you already know, has made a terrible mistake. It's in the garden that mankind was supposed to be with God, supposed to have dominion over the animals of the land. And in this place, they had access to the tree of life. You've heard me preach this before, but Adam listened to the voice of a woman named Life, for the word Eve is Hebrew for life. He listens to life rather than eating from the tree of life. And by disobeying the command of God, a curse is released into the world, not because God is cruel, but because we are fallible. And through the curse being released, God tells Adam, cursed now is the ground because of you. It shall produce thorns and thistles. And we know that man is made from the ground, so if the ground is producing thorns and thistles, then that's what we will produce as well. Human is now cursed. This world that was so beautiful that God had created for us and he wanted us to dwell in this garden with him. The garden would be like a most holy place where we would dwell with God Almighty. All of that is interrupted now and a curse is now in existence. It's now a little over a millennia after this famous story of Adam and Eve that we read of a post-Edenic world where the earth's population has exploded in number. But unfortunately, you'll see that The population isn't just growing, but sin is growing with the population. Long forgotten is the righteous sacrifice of a young man named Abel who was killed because God showed him favor and not his brother. We now have in the rearview mirror the descendant of Cain who brags to his wives for killing a man for wounding him. And he justifies blatant sin in Genesis when he says, If Cain shall be avenged seventy-sevenfold, then Lamech, or sevenfold, then Lamech shall be avenged seventy-sevenfold. Now we have needless murder in the world, and we're justifying it because God is kind. We're abusing grace. And you thought that today was something new that sin had cooked up. This is as old as time. Abusing grace has grace the pages of our Bible since the very beginning. Needless murder has always been here. You understand that a murderer in the Bible, it was literally only like one in four people. One out of four people were murderers during this time. It was a terrible time and it's getting worse. It's amidst this sin-filled context that another man named Lamech is introduced who has descended down the line of Cain's brother, Seth. We have a Lamech who's abusing grace and killing a man for wounding him. But then we have another Lamech, and he gives a prophecy. Listen to this Lamech through the line of Seth's prophecy. Genesis 5, 28 says that Lamech lived 182 years, and he had a son. He called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. That's the curse, by the way. Because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. 
After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. He names his son Rest, and he says, Here, this one in the world named Rest is going to comfort us concerning the toil of our hands and the ground that's been cursed. Rest is going to heal everything. Rest is going to repair it all. Rest is now entering into the world. And listen to the age that a man who prophesies rest, listen to the age at which he dies. He was 777 years old. A man who was 777, three cycles of Sabbath, prophesies rest into the planet. And this non-distorted Lamech, this better Lamech, would speak of his son, name him rest, and say, this one's going to bring us comfort concerning this curse. But as you already know, sinful societies, they don't have much respect for prophecies. Just because a prophecy has entered the world and just because rest is coming doesn't mean sin takes a break. We will see the condition, while a man named Rest, the prophecy is birthed, the prophecy is living and breathing, Noah is here. While he's alive, we will see that God saw that the wickedness of man was great and that the very thoughts and intents of his heart was only evil continually. This is the condition even though a prophecy is coming to pass. You need to understand that when a prophecy is in your life doesn't mean that everything goes your way. A prophecy is not a good luck charm. A prophecy is not, well, it's all going to work out for you. A prophecy is not, okay, it's going to get better now. A prophecy just means that now there's something else that's entered the mix that you have to put faith in. And so we see that the earth is getting worse, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Jesus would describe this time on earth in Luke 17. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that they entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus is not demonizing eating a meal. Jesus is not demonizing having a drink. Jesus is not demonizing getting married. What he's saying is, is he said, the world was just going on as if it was normal. They were just... While there's a prophecy in the world that rest is here, and while that prophecy was building a salvation, they just went about life as if it were normal, and they said, big deal, big deal, a boat, that's awesome, who cares, we're just going to go about our life as normal. Jesus is articulating a time where they had a hope, and they chose to partner with life as normal, with no revelation whatsoever that judgment was on its way. We're just going to live however we want to live. Even though prophecies are alive and coming to pass in our midst, and even though salvation is here, we still want to do things what we want to do. But we see that this burdens us, and on an, an opposing side of this, even though we're burdening that the world is getting worse, we see that Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. A man named Rest found favor. Within the hopeless depravity of a self-indulged and numb generation, there was a man who found favor in the eyes of God, a man with a prophetic call on his life. And before you assume that you know everything there is to know about Noah just because you've heard about him in Sunday school and he's a boat builder, please know that he's much more than a boat builder. Please know that there's a whole lot more to the story because Peter tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness, that he was living out a ministerial life, that every time he hammered a nail, 
Every time he cut down a tree and was building a boat, it would preach to everybody else that was going about his life as normal. He was preaching, I believe in what was told to me that something's coming, and I'm going to build what he told me to build because I believe in what he said is coming. You, you realize that Noah is obedient without a sign? The word was enough for Noah. There was no, here's a sign the judgment's coming, I'm going to give you a raindrop. Why? Because only a wicked generation seeks a sign, according to Jesus. He said, shouldn't it be enough that I just said so? Shouldn't it be enough that the word has declared it, and you put your faith in that, and now you're going to prepare for it? Noah built on a word, not an experience. I believe everything you've said, even though we just met. And I'm going to build which you've asked of me. Scripture implies that Noah preached to the people of that time because Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world. His building of a boat was the message. He said, I believe what he said, and this may seem crazy to you to do this, but I believe every word that was told to me. His God-fearing action of obedience to building a boat was a judgment on everybody who would watch this man's life. His obedience would set out to build a boat at the bidding of God. Make no mistake, Noah could not save himself except God came and said, here's the blueprints. Here's exactly what you need to do. You build it exactly as I show you how to build it. And follow the blueprints. Don't get mad at God because he comes and says a flood's coming. He spoke about judgment once and spent a whole chapter on the boat. Jesus said, I'm just going to make you aware of the judgment, but what I'm going to highlight is the grace. I'm going to highlight the leaving of this place. I'm going to highlight how you're going to get out of here. I'm only going to tell you once about the judgment, but I'm going to tell you a whole chapter on how to avoid it. And here's how to avoid it, Noah. I want you to go and get some wood. I want you to build a boat. And I want there to be an upper deck, a middle deck, and a lower deck. But don't you build three boats. I want three floors inside of one boat. Don't put a rudder on that boat either because you're not driving it, I am. That thing's going to be driven by me because you don't know where I want to plant this boat. I've already got its destination in the future. And if you had a rudder on it and a steering wheel, you would drive this thing wherever you wanted to. It's going to drive you. You're not going to drive it, but you're going to build it. I need you to join your administration with my grace, and together we're going to partner and we're going to build something. But you could never do it except I met with you, spoke with you, and gave you the blueprints to it. And Noah starts building. He says, all right, you're starting to build it. I want you to put pitch on the outside and pitch on the inside. The Hebrew word for pitch is kefer. It's an interesting word because guess where it shows up later? On another ark. The ark of the covenant. And guess what the English word was for the same Hebrew word? Atonement. The Hebrew word for kefer, when it got on top of the Ark of the Covenant, was called the atonements. But over here it's called pitch, but it's the exact same Hebrew word. God was telling Noah, put atonement on the outside of this boat and put some atonement on the inside of the boat. Pitch it without and within. 
they translated it to pitch because they didn't understand how do we translate atonement as it applies to a boat. Little would they know that that thing was actually salvific. That was not just a mere boat. That was a salvation boat. And so it didn't make sense. And so they translated to the word pitch. But the word is used for atonement on the Ark of the Covenant. Put atonement on the outside of it. Put atonement on the inside. Okay, I'm going to do that. He said, now put one door in the side of that salvation. Okay, one door. Put a window on top. All right. And all of a sudden, they entered in. But here's the best part. As the rain started falling, the Bible says that God himself shut Noah in. How weak is your salvation? Because the one I'm putting my faith in, God's got his hand on the outside of it. And God put me inside of that thing. And it's the strongest boat on this planet. But here, let me give you a revelation. That even though God's hand is on it, even though it was built to the exact specs, that doesn't mean that the ark won't rock when the waters show up. They have recently found out in, ge in different geological digs. They went and they found these chevrons. A chevron is a big pile of landmass that is built up from a tsunami. When the tsunami comes onto land, the big wave, all of the dirt and sediment that's in the waves, it builds up real big on the land and they call them chevrons. They found chevrons in Turkey the size of Manhattan. And they thought, what on earth-sized tsunami caused these things? Well, they started doing different geological digs into the, into the chevrons, and they found non-earth material in it. And they said this was caused by some kind of meteorite. And so they looked at the chevrons, and it pointed to the Indian Ocean, and they found a crater there the size of America. And they looked at it, and they said, this has to be what caused the flood because whatever caused a crater this size had to have been so big when that meteor hit the earth's atmosphere, it must have flash-boiled all of the humidity in the air and caused there to be a national or a worldwide rain. And when it hit that land, he said it should have caused a wave, Brother Williams, so tall that it would have been seven miles high, traveling at almost a thousand miles an hour. That's the circumstances that Noah's in. Talk to Noah about a pandemic, y'all. Noah's inside and goes, all right, it's going to be easy sailing from here. We got a salvation. We're going to be good, y'all. My name's Rest, after all. I don't know, I still don't know why he made me work the past 120 years, but it doesn't matter. We're going to rest now. We're inside the boat. We're good. All of a sudden, water starts hammering. That boat gets slammed with the waves, and it starts rising. And I'm sure he's inside the boat getting seasick, and all kind of stuff's happening to him. And he looks at his wife, and he's thinking to himself, what in the world is happening? I, he didn't tell me about this part. He didn't tell me about the ark rocking. No, all I wanted you to know was how to build it. I will be with you when it rocks, and you will be safe from the thing causing it to rock. But here, here's the reality. Salvations can ride on the waves, but you might get seasick. In this world, you're going to have some trouble. Be of good cheer, though. The thing that I've built overcoming all of the stuff outside of it that's prevailing. The water that you see out there that is rising up, this is stronger. And as he began to look, he said, I know it's rocking and I know that we're getting hammered and I know that I can hear the raindrops, but I can't help but notice there's no water in the boat. That atonement out there must be working. 
That atonement, I can't see the atonement on the outside anymore, but I can see the atonement on the inside. I'm looking right at the holes, and I see that pitch working, and I see it loud and clear. I can see it as vivid as day, and I know it's working because there's none of that prevailing stuff getting inside of it. And while he's riding on top of them waves, God is driving the boat, and watch how the captain of the boat drives it. He drives that ark, and it lands on top of... Mount Ararat. I'm going to teach you all some Hebrew tonight. The Hebrew word for cursed is Arar. God prophesies that there's going to be a man named Rest who's going to heal the land. And he's going to give us comfort concerning the toil of our lands and the ground that has been cursed. And God said, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put salvation on top of Mount Cursed. Y'all following how amazing this book is? And up there on top of Mount Cursed is a boat with three floors inside of it and one boat in the side. And Noah, old brother Rest, goes up on that deck and he looks out and he's like, Ooh, son, it is prevailing out there. Woo! I don't know how deep it is, but it's not looking good. He sends out a dove. I don't have time to talk to you about the raven. I wish I did. But let's stick about that. Let's stick to the dove. That dove goes out and the dove comes back and he's like, nah, bro. Mm-mm. You park it right here in the salvation and you stay here. It's not looking good out there. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what I've been born to do. We're going to rest seven days. <laughs> I'm perfectly at home and fine inside this salvation. I'm content. I can rest in the salvation. And so he goes back in, he goes out and he goes, but I want to go out there and I want to see Eden again. And so he sends out a dove. The dove comes back and the dove says, you ain't going to believe this, Brother Rest. There's something growing out there. Look at this olive branch. You know what this is? He said, I know exactly what that is. There's some Eden emerging in what was prevailing. What used to be winning is now diminishing because a wind has found itself hovering over it. And now there's some Eden growing where chaos used to exist. I think we should rest a little more. And he rests another seven days. And he sends the dove out the third time. The dove doesn't return. Why? Because the dove has found a place to rest her foot. Eden is fully in their midst. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rest another seven days. Because my father who prophesied me into this world was 777. And so I'm going to rest for 777. But while I'm resting in the salvation, I'm hoping for the Eden to show up. And he looks out over that deck and he says, I'm so glad I've got this salvation, but I am hoping for that water to come down. And when the waters finally diminish, he comes out of the boat, he comes on that mountain, and he has dominion over an animal just like we were supposed to do. And he has an animal sacrifice on top of Mount Curse. God sniffs it and he goes, whew, God, that smells good. He comes down and he says, I will never again curse the earth, even though the thoughts of man are evil continually. And I can imagine Noah's thinking, wait a minute. Oh, great Yahweh, you destroyed the earth because our thoughts were evil continually. You're telling me now, you're not going to do it again, and we haven't changed? We're still as corrupt and evil as we were before? Yes, I'm not going to destroy the earth again, even though you haven't changed. What changed then, God? That ark, that salvation, that sacrifice all on top of this cursed hill is what's changed everything. 
Can you prove it to us? Absolutely. I'm going to give you a sign of this covenant. Watch this. And a rainbow shoots across the sky. What are those beautiful colors? It's a down payment of the beautiful shores that you're going to hope for later. But by this, I know how weak your faith is. I'm going to give you something that you can look at. I will never give you a covenant without a sign. Here's the sign and the proof that I'm going to fulfill this sign to you. Why on earth am I giving you all of this background in history? Because when a man showed up, he had a name, and his name was Jesus. And that Hebrew name, Jesus, means Yahweh saves. And when he showed up on this earth, he steps foot into some water. And when he goes under that water, he comes up out of it. And when he does, the sky split open, and a dove comes down upon him. And what we were seeing was the upper deck, the middle deck, and the lower deck of our salvation. And when that dove landed on him, it was not second in the Trinity. What we were seeing was Noah's dove said, hey, have you been reading the prophets? The prophets said that he was going to give us rest. And it said that he would be the root and stem of Jesse. The prophet also said that he would grow amongst us as a tender plant. And that dove landing on Jesus said, hey guys, I know the world's chaotic right now. I know that Rome seems like they're winning. I know it seems like the Pharisees are more corrupt than they've ever been. But Eden's here. Look where the dove has landed. Rest a little longer because at any moment now we're expecting this ark to go to a cursed hill. What the Bible was showing us that within Jesus was the Father, was the Son, was the Spirit all inside of one salvation. Inside of Him was the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the door. No man goes to that upper deck, the Father, except by me. I am the entire boat. You can can't drive me wherever I want to go that's where I'm going you can't put a rudder on me you don't get to steer me wherever the wind blows that's where it's going to blow I go where I want to go I save who I want to save whoever's hungry for me that's where you'll find me I'm not just in Pentecostal churches I'm wherever there's hunger is and wherever truth is being preached that's where I'll show up don't put a leash on me don't control me I'm the captain not you he was also the high priest the lamb and the tabernacle all all three dimensions of that great God was all bottled up inside of that one salvation. Not only that, he would look at us and he would say, Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He that's in me and I in them, you will be saved. If you will find yourself in me, you'll have some rest. I am your rest that is coming. I don't know what's happened to the apostolic church. I don't know if we've got our big boy britches on. I don't know if we've gotten too mature for the gospel. I don't know that if we're looking for a, another revelation and we're just tired of the death, burial, and resurrection, but I'm here to revive in us a brand new passion for the gospel of God. If you're looking for some deeper revelation, the entire Bible points in one direction. It's all solidifying one grand moment in history. It's where God comes into this world on our behalf and he says, you haven't changed. You're still as corrupt as you've always been. You still have a will that you use for evil, but I'm showing up in spite of you. I'm showing up because I'm righteous and you're not. I'm good, you're not. And I can make you good if you get filled with me. If you can, here you want rest, I'm here. This is why Jesus could fall asleep in the middle of a boat while it's in a storm. And they come to him and they said, what in the world? Why aren't you all stressed out and full of anxiety? You don't understand what I am. You are worried about this boat? I'm the boat. I 
cannot sink. I don't care. This is why Jesus, no waters could ever prevail when he was around. He would just get up and say, peace, be still. Why do we stress so much in the church nowadays? Have we gotten off track? When you were baptized in the name of Jesus, God said, there, there's some atonement on the outside. All right, now what? I need some atonement on the inside. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, that spirit moved inside of you. How do I know it did? Because there was a sign of covenant that was given. You spoke with other tongues. And the reason why is because God knows our faith is weak. And so when we started speaking in another language we were confirmed right there this is real what's going on the inside now is working rest in that stop looking for your best life now and start seeking your rest life now God is not going to pay off all your bills God's not going to make your life easier here's a news flash salvation still rocks when the waves show up just because heaven's been prophesied doesn't mean that waters won't prevail now. And when waters prevail now, doesn't mean the waters will always prevail. And just because they've been prevailing for 150 days doesn't mean that one day a wind won't start blowing. And when it does, you and I, which are filled with His Spirit, will be caught up with Him in the air. And there we will be with Him forever. You, ought to, you have to start working on the hope side. You see, it's one thing to get the salvation side. How many of you are still right now looking at your baptism. I was baptized December 6, 1996 and when I was baptized in Jesus name, that happened one time and I believe the Bible tells me that the blood is so powerful, I don't have to do it every single year because Hebrews said he entered once for all and I believe that baptism was once good enough for me, but I don't see it anymore, that happened in 1996 what I can see though is every time I go into prayer rooms, I can look at the atonement on the inside, I can feel the moving of his spirit within the Son of God. And I can feel the comfort as fruit begins to grow. As I'm having dominion over this animal carcass, this flesh, I know that the Spirit is alive and working in me. And I have peace because I can go into prayer and I can say, oh God, I see the fruit of your Spirit manifesting in me. There's no way that that would work except the atonement was on the inside. So I can see the changed life. And in that, I have rest. But we have not preached quite strong enough the hope side. And I believe this is prophetic to where we are as a generation and as a movement right now. We need to solidify ourselves and reintroduce ourselves to what true biblical hope is. We are not hoping that America gets fixed tomorrow. We are not hoping that somehow we get the perfect president. That is not where your hope is supposed to be directed. Your hope is directed on top of a cursed hill. That's where you set your eyes at. That's what you look at. You rest not in a government. You rest in a salvation. You don't rest inside of anything else. Your peace comes from one thing. I'm inside of the one God and inside of Him I get access to the Father. And by getting access to the Father, I know the Son. And by knowing the Son, I can be filled with the Spirit. And all of that is in oneness with each other. And they are all one because I am inside of Him and I can see it. There's revelation inside of salvation if you get inside of it. And your salvation 
hand's not weak. Here's how I know. Because God's hand puts you inside of it. And who can pluck you out of the Lord's hand? You can jump out of it if you want to. That's your prerogative. You can. You have your own will. But as long as you want to be in the salvation, there's nothing on this planet can take you out of it. There's nothing in this world going to pull you out of the salvation. That boat is stronger than the waters that are prevailing. That boat is stronger than the carnality that you're surrounded with. You just need to make your mind up. There's nothing better on this planet than this boat and I'm going to live inside of it. We are living in the days of Noah right now. There is talks of World War III. China right now is surrounding the harbors of Taiwan and right now if they invade Taiwan that's going to shut down all of our trade. Our economy will collapse. Just three weeks ago Vladimir Putin put into military readiness the largest nuclear bomb in the history of man. It is three times larger than our largest nuclear bomb. There are talks all over the media. Kim Jong-un from North Korea just met with Vladimir Putin and told him, we'll supply you with ammunition if you supply us with the the means to put a, a satellite into space so that we can launch a nuclear warhead wherever we want to. We are here, but don't fret about that. I'm not going to spend the rest of this message talking about the problems of nuclear war. What I want to tell you about is an entire chapter of salvation, an entire book of salvation. Your rest is nowhere else than inside of salvation. That's where our rest is. And sure enough, Jesus would go on top of a cursed hill. But before he did, he goes into the garden. When he goes into that garden, he would be one better than Noah. Remember what Noah did when he came down off that mountain? He planted a vineyard. He planted a vineyard. You see see what's happening here? We're cultivating fruit now. Where the waters prevailed, fruit now prevails. This was the reversal of the curse. He said, this one will heal our land. This one's going to comfort us considering the toil and we're going to produce now. Sure enough, little did Noah know that the water would be the catalyst to create the fertility of the land. The problem wasn't the problem. The problem was the solution to fruit. While you're complaining about what's prevailing, it's actually stirring the church up to the solution. While Jesus goes into a yet a garden, he goes into that garden, brother, and what does he do? He hits his knees and he begins to pray for us. And great drops of blood come from his brow onto the ground. You know what he's doing? He's working by the sweat of his brow, but in a spiritual dimension. He rises up and he says, all right, now i got to take care of those thorns. And he leaves that garden and they take those thorns and they press him onto his head. He says, all right, I've got to create the salvation on the cursed hill. And they take the high priest, the lamb, and the tabernacle all inside of Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all inside of Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life all inside of Jesus. And they put him on a tree and they plant him on top of a cursed hill. And he says, there it is. I have fixed it all. I am the living, breathing prophecy. There's still problems in the world, but I'm overcoming it right now. Feast your eyes on me. All of you that follow this pattern that I'm giving to you, I'm the blueprints. If you will die, if you 
will be buried, then you will be resurrected. If you'll do all of that, you'll have rest. What you're looking for is rest in something else, though. We're looking for rest in paychecks. We're looking for rest in, in just better lives lived. We're looking for rest in stuff. That's not where our rest is. We need to have a revival on a personal level that we stop and look at the world and say, oh, it's not looking good out there, but I'm so glad I'm in this Christ. It's not looking good out there in the government, but I'm so glad I'm inside of the salvation. I didn't create the salvation. I'm just so glad he gave me the blueprints to it. There's no way I could save myself. I can't drive it. And since I can't drive it, God, you go wherever you want to go. God, you go to the non-denominal churches. You go to the Baptist churches. You go to the Pentecostal churches. I just want that ark everywhere it can blow. You go to the bars. You go to wherever you need to blow. And I trust that you know where you're going. And what you'll find is everywhere he's setting himself up on these cursed hills. And he's saying, if I be lifted up, I can draw all men unto me. That dove is here. And that dove is moving in every church service. We need to learn how to rest in the salvation. But let's say you got that figured out. How's your hope? Noah stood out and he says, any day now. Any day now, that water, I trust the wind. That wind's blowing. And when that wind blows, the Bible said the water's decreased. And he said, everything else he said is true. He said the water was coming. It's here. And so if the wind is blowing and it's decreasing, I believe any day now. And so he would go and he says, until the water decreases, I'm going to rest in this salvation a little longer. And he would go back out and he would look and he would say, ah, I still believe any day now that water that used to win will diminish. We have weakened hope. We say things now like, oh. Man, I hope that works out for you. That means nothing. Do you know what the Hebrew word for hope is? The root of the word achal is a bowstring. (laughs) Do you know what that means for us? When it starts getting, getting drawn. The reason why they used the root of a bowstring for the word hope in Hebrew is they had this image. When that thing draws back, it's going to get built up with this intense pressure. It's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger as the time goes by. And it gets further drawn back, further and further. At any moment now, when he lets go, he never misses. Hope is stronger than wishful thinking. Hope is not in the string. Hope is in the archer holding the bow. God has never missed. And when he grabs the child of God, he puts us inside of that salvation. And he says, look, it's dropping. And we look at the chaos and it goes down an inch, down an inch. And it starts to build up with anticipation as we see all these problems around us happening. Do you know what's been going on in our home? You know what's going on in my soul? I'm looking out and I hear rumors of war. And I see all of this division. And I see all of these problems. And I'm getting built up more and more with angst. And I'm saying, any day now, any day now, we're going to see that end time 
time harvest. Any day now, we're going to hear a trumpet and we're going to be caught up with them in the air. Any day now, I'm so glad I don't have to fret. All I have to do is rest and hope. There was no anxiety in the salvation. There was nothing in the salvation but rest and hope. And when rest starts hoping, waters start diminishing. I'm here with a strong word from heaven that God is speaking to me. God is wanting the church of this generation to rest in your salvation but he wants your faith in his ability and he wants you to stand up and say God I believe that you're going to work this out I believe that any day now your wind is blowing over the society and the waters are going to come down he is trying to wake the church up to a deeper dimension of hope get ready musicians let's say I'm wrong Let's say that's just, you know, that's fun, Brother Holloway. You study the Bible and you find a bunch of cool little connection points and it's just, it preaches good. Let's, but, but let's say you die tonight. And that's it. You just cease to exist. Nobody that I know has died and then come back and told me how it went and said, yeah, no, it's not the end. There's more beyond that. I, I've never met anybody that's done that. So you're putting your hope into something blind. You're saying that if you die because of this salvation, you're going to have hope in an eternity. What if you're wrong? Let's, let's go down that vein. What if, let's, say, let's say I died tonight and I was wrong. There is no, there's no heaven. There's no resurrection. None of that. Let's say I'm wrong. Then I just wasted my life on peace. Some of you don't know me. My three-year-old son died in a house fire. And according to statistics, I should be divorced. Because in the church, 92% of marriages end in divorce when they lose a child. So let's say I'm wrong. All I did was had a good marriage. All this belief in the salvation did was give me joy when I shouldn't have any. All this, all this did for me then, I wasted all my time Perpetual peace. I traveled all throughout the United States wearing myself out, preaching something that doesn't even happen. I could sleep well at night. But if you're going to ask me that question, let me ask you one. What if I'm right and you're wrong? Then I win here and over there. You got to do whatever you wanted to do here. You got to live it up however you wanted to. And you had, a, you had a good time, but you were miserable. Meanwhile, the people of God are resting in our salvation. And we have set our eyes on something that is coming. I believe Paul had this revelation. Because listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God because we have testified of a God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, guess what? Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins, he says. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're gone. If in this life only 
that hope. I've been miserable. But guys, I'm resting and I'm hoping for something else. He then turns the table in verse 20 and he says, but now this, Christ is risen from the dead and he has become the first fruits of those who have also perished. Hear me right now. My greatest peace is in my revelation of God, I believe more than anything that when you went into that tomb, you conquered death. And in three days, you came up out of the ground. And when I get filled on the outside with atonement and filled up on the inside with it, I too, according to your word, you said, if that same spirit which raised Christ Jesus liveth in you, it will also... I put all my hope in that and I'm being built up with angst and I'm being built up with expectation as I look out over society and I tell my wife, I say, any day now, we're going to get called up and I'm going to hear well done and I'm going to walk through gates of pearl and God's going to look at me and he's going to say, come here, son, and I'm going to wrap my arms around my son. And he's going to look at me and he's going to say, because of my blueprints and your obedience to them, enter thou in. And I'm going to say, I get to rest for eternity. Yes, what you felt down there when you had rest and hope was but a down payment of what was coming. Enter thou in. And I'm going to walk streets of gold and I'm going to have my son by the hand named Levi. So here's the thing. Nobody can make you do anything. I can't, I can't give you the Holy Ghost. I can give you blueprints. But I don't have a hot hand. I can't lay on my hands on you. And then all of a sudden, you start speaking in tongues. What I can do is I can stand as witness. I can stand as testimony to you of what this salvation has done for someone in it. You're looking at somebody who should be on drugs right now. You're looking at somebody who should be depressed right now. You're looking at somebody who shouldn't be married anymore right now. You, I still have problems. Totaled out of truck less than a month ago. The world still is the world. And the world has no respect for the prophecies that are in the world. But I believe rest is here. And while rest is here, I'm going to enter into that salvation. And I'm going to say, God, even though the boat's rocking, even though I see the waters prevailing, I've got hope and I've got rest in this salvation. That's your peace. That is your comfort. That is your message. That is the greatest hope. I want everybody in this room to come to these altars. And if you're in here, I don't care if you don't feel a call to preach in a pulpit. Your message is the same. You go out and you give blueprints. Your life is a message to everybody that you work with. I am building a boat. Whether you believe it or not, you can go and do what you want to do. But while I'm here, I'm going to build this boat. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to throw those hands up. And I want you to declare to the heavens. God, I want a revival of the power of this gospel. I want to feel your hand on the boat. And if you're here tonight and you have never experienced baptism in the name of Jesus, the waters are here. We can put atonement on the outside and when we do, God wipes it all away. Every mistake, every hurt, every pain, every bad decision. 
completely blown away. And also, while you're here, you may as well get atonement on the inside of the vessel by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Right now, with those hands raised, I want you to turn from your sins and say, God, I don't want to live how I want to live. I want you to look from heaven and find favor with me because I want the hope. I want the rest. And here's what will happen. There will be a sound of a rushing mighty wind that's going to come through this place. And when that wind hits you, there will be a sound that comes forth from the vessel. And it'll be a sign of covenant. It'll be something that'll help your weak faith to know he has moved into the vessel. Parents, teach it to your kids. Husbands, talk about it at work. Wives, talk about it as you're going to and fro throughout this life. Speak of this great vessel. Speak of the way, the truth, the life. Tell them about the door and the side. Tell them about the baptism in Jesus' name. Tell them about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But while you're doing it, live a hope-filled life. I'm not coming here trying to peddle you some cheap gospel. I can't promise you the problems will go away. I can't make you that promise. What I can promise you, though, with utmost confidence, is that you're going to have rest in spite of the trouble because you're going to be able to stand and say, you know what? The problems are still here, but I've got a salvation that's going to rapture me out of here someday. I've got something better than the problems. I am resting in the salvation, and I hope that any day now, the waters will subside. If there's somebody around you that you think is seeking the Holy Ghost, I want you to go pray with them. I want you to go and stand as witness and testimony of somebody who God has filled with His Spirit. I want you to join with somebody in prayer. And I want you to join with anybody right now. I want you to join in unity. And I want you to hold yourself accountable that we are going to be eat up with this. That we're going to start hoping more than we ever have. We're not going to live our lives filled with frustration about what's going on in a nation. What we're going to do is we're going to look out from the bow of our salvation. And we're going to say any day now. Any day now, I want God to fill you up to overflowing with the hope of the gospel right now. That the gospel is not just for the lost, it's also to keep those that are saved. The gospel is still for you. You didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost, and that's it. You still have the Holy Ghost so that you can be it. God has filled you with His Spirit, and God is going to fill you to overflowing with the hope of eternity. There's eternity living inside of you. The timeless God is dwelling within your vessel, and that is proof of a heaven that is coming. I want you to rest in the Spirit right now and let God fill you up with rest and hope.